Hello and welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. My name is Mason and I am so excited to bring you our episode on Night in the Woods, a game that Sam was very, very hyped for us to play and definitely delivered. Now during the episode we are going to spoil the events of the game from beginning to end and we're going to cover topics that include, but are not limited to, cults, aging, and death. So please use your best judgment before proceeding and please enjoy. everyone and welcome back to level zero literacy this episode we are talking about indie darling night in the woods the 2017 narrative adventure game from infinite fall and published by finji this game was written by alec holakwa scott benson and bethany hockenberry you play as may a recent college dropout returning to her small town after mental health mental health struggles, you find yourself at the center of some small town conspiracy and have to unravel what is going on before it gets you. Fortunately, you have a small circle of friends who are willing to help you out and figure things out before small town life does you in. Themes for Night in the Woods include nihilism, life in middle America, religion, and political fallout of impoverished areas. Gentlemen, we we went into the woods. We spent. I mean, there was more than one night in the woods. I feel like the game title is a little there's like nights in the woods. There's like three nights. There's, in the should woods. be nights in the woods. There are. Th- I would say four nights. I spent in the woods. many nights in the woods. A lot of nights in the woods. I spent several. So if you're listening to this, creators of Night in the Woods, just, we're just asking for Fuck a retcon. <laughs> I hate you. Could you. Cha- you could go change. I am going. I am declaring. Nope. nope. <laughs> uh, not that. <laughs> All right. I was about to say something very insensitive. <laughs> All we're asking for is the change to Nights in the Woods. I'm asking for more. Or Nights into Dreams. <laughs> no, that no, game's on. No. That's a different game. I mean, different that's game. a pretty accurate name for this game. It's a different game. It is, a, it is it an accurate be, name. If it wasn't already taken. <laughs> so, what'd you guys think of Night in the Woods? That's a pretty good game. The The writing and characterization is really good. I think th- this game is at its best when it's capturing a very specific time in, I think, every young person's life. Everyone probably like 35 and below has had this point in their life. Maybe older people, but if, if, like, if there are older people who have had this point in their life, I haven't specifically talked to them about it. And yeah, I just, it's, it's quite good at that. I really like the story and characters of this game. I wish there was like a fast travel thing or something. Oh, yes. I I thought moving was a little too slow when I was trying to do everything. I also thought that. (laughs) I think it would help. I mean, this game has a lot of really good music, and I think it would help if there was some more of that in like the overworld traversal, because I think it would feel less like a chore if they they brought some of that music into the overworld. They do some very interesting things with the music in this game, mm-hmm. but it's very it's like very minor. So you have to be like cognizantly thinking about it or else you can miss it, which kind of adds to the mundanity of of the foot travel, I think. So I want to talk about the elephant room first because <laughs> this was a big thing as I was watching Mason do his playthrough. Obviously, May 
is not a particularly likable protagonist. Mm-hmm. Mason found this to be a very grinding situation. I I particularly okay. So for context, one of my favorite pieces of media of all time is BoJack Horseman, and that show has a horrible protagonist. I can't get Mason to watch it for very fair reasons. <laughs> but you know, I don't I don't mind when a piece of media has unlikable protagonists as long as the direction the character is taken in is a reasonable and understandable way for them to move and travel. You know, there has to be rede- and there has to be some number of redeeming qualities or you know, attempts at redemption. And now we don't really see that from May until probably the last 10% of the game, but it's, it may arrives at that as a result of the ability to learn and change from the things we see her do in over the course of the game. Right. And I think, you know, I didn't, I had a problem with May, but it didn't grind on me, mainly because I just thought it was interesting that a character was like this. And secondly, I think people who play video games will take it a little bit more personally when you can't just be the good person. You know? I do. I, I think it's like, when you can't do what you want with a video game character, it feels different than when you're reading a somewhat unredeemable protagonist in other media. Yeah, we I, we had similar issues when we played... We had similar issues with Pentiments, right? Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. like, it was by the character kind of, like, living... The protagonist kind of, like, living on their own a little bit. There's, like, that disconnect between player yeah, and there's a, there's player a friction. character. I would like to I'd like to explain myself a little bit for my dislike of May, right? I think this actually ties in really well to a point I made with the last episode that released, which at time of recording was Chicory a Colorful Tale. I think you can tell a lot about the experience of the writers by how they portray certain things in the things they write. I think we obviously everyone knows this, right? So what I was trying to say in Chicory a Colorful Tale is you can tell a lot about the experience that the writers have with people who ask them for help or the times that they've had to like the, the how they think about sort of responsibility by how they portray the people who asked pizza for help in chicory, right? How they like kind of portrayed them as pushy in some instances. I think in this game where one of the major themes is like, maturing growing up and leaving behind sort of the immaturity and lack of responsibility of being a child you can learn a lot about what the authors think by how they characterize may as the immature character and the thing that i personally found grating was that there were certain aspects of her that i really related with in her character characterization as immature her hesitance to take on new responsibilities her inability to view things through a lens of like you know the mundanity of everyday work and things like that 
And then there are aspects to her character that I thought that's like, to me, seemed like seemed to be also communicating an immaturity, but like not in any way that I think any myself or any reasonable person would ever act like being completely oblivious to people's economic situation or like in some ways just like very unbelievably for the, the situation I'm referring to specifically is the scene where you have a conversation with your best friend B in her bedroom and you know, B is relating to you like, you know, uh, my mom died. My dad is medically doing not good. I have to take over the hardware store and support us. We lost the house and you know, B and May is just like, Oh, well you always have a choice, you know, like you can choose not to do this. You could choose to go to college. And it's like, well, you know, you're just like ignoring the things she said, you're being like a huge asshole about it. And these things don't match like I, a realistic experience for me. It's mm. not realistic. Right. But that's I, to me. So uh, sorry, Buck. Uh, you know, the idea, if, if, if the idea, right, is that may is immature, then it would make sense that she's going to have a more idealistic outlook on things as opposed to the rest of her friend group who have kind of matured past her. You know, there's there's a good line in, like somewhere in the game where it's like, you know, being an adult isn't about, you know, turning a certain age or hitting a certain milestone. Being adult is like more of like a state of mind. I don't remember exactly. I, th- I think it is B who says something along those lines. You know, people like, just talking about like people growing up past may uh when may tries to point out that she's like two months older older. yeah two years older or something and i think that i think that's just part of it right is like there is a kernel of truth in a lot of the things that may says like yeah at the end of the day b bay does have a choice right she could choose to do that but in reality, obviously, it's not that simple to make I, those decisions. I I need to push back on the believability. I think someone thinking like that in that situation, especially someone characterized like May up to that point in the game, I could totally see someone keeping doing that. I mean, you just cringed at me. I mean, look, dude, I spent years talking to teenagers for eight hours a day there are people that think like this i don't think there aren't i i I, I mean like it's just that (laughs) there's a certain there's a certain friction that happens when you you know i don't want to word this like you see a social situation like devolving and all of your dialogue options are just like the worst thing you could possibly say. And I know like, you know, the artist has a very specific like vision for how they want to portray how the scene goes down. And I, you know, I want to see that, but it's just very strange to be like, okay, well now you choose between these two identical text options that are both like, both like 
the worst possible things you can say. So now you feel like personally immersed in this scene with these things that I think like anyone with even a modicum of social awareness would never say. Um, and then it's like turning up May's like worst qualities to like 10. I think you're overestimating the ability of a lot of 20 year olds with no direction. <laughs> it could be just a disconnect between <laughs> myself. It could be just a disconnect between myself and May as a main character. Because like I know that, you know, it. I'm not going to say that like I matured very fast or I was like a very mature young person. In a lot of ways, I think I'm very still immature and irresponsible. But like, I think like one of the first things I learned and one of the simplest things to grasp is like, don't just like say like very straightforwardly antagonistic things to people who are in vulnerable positions. Cause that makes you like want like a huge scumbag. And that seemed to clash, you know, it seemed like in a lot of ways the writing was trying to get me to buy into the fact that may wasn't a scumbag. She wasn't a terrible person. She just had a lot of growing up to do. Yeah. Well, I think a big part of May's character is at some point her parents stopped being active in her upbringing. And that I I don't know why you disagree with No, no, no. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just thinking I, about it. I'm sorry. I, my I, facial expression is kind of betraying <laughs> a different thought that I, I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my no, head around I, that. I think you're right, Buck, because I, th- I think part of the reason why to me, at least, the way it reads is part of the reason why May had such a close relationship with her grandfather, is because her grandfather was more. I don't know. I don't know if more. Her grandfather played a bigger parental role, while her parents got more distant as a result of the living conditions of the town. Yeah, and like, there's multiple things. I mean, I assume we're going to be talking about this game in bits and pieces, but like, I'd like to kind of zoom in on this point here. You know that May and her mom were abused by her father at some point. You know that May almost killed someone. And I think a lot of, and you also find out eventually that May has a very severe, mental condition like it's very severe so i think her parents started to distance themselves from her upbringing so may doesn't really have an understanding of responsibility at this point right i don't think may understands what accountability is because i think her parents stepped away from that accountability and with her grandfather dying she just kind of got to do what she wanted to do because I think her parents were scared to engage past a certain point at one point. And they just thought that if she went off on her own, like if they just stuck with the plan that she could have figured it out herself. But I don't think she had the tools to actually do that. Because of how she was brought up. And I mean, I, I'm drawing, I'm making some assumptions here because we're not given the full picture. But 
that's kind of how I see it is that because May doesn't even know about her own family's financial position. So seeing someone else's, I think that's part of why she doesn't see it with Bay. I mean, even the even without the context of everything about the parents, there is a whole like concept that the parents have to redeem themselves to May just from literally forgetting her at the bus station on the first night that she gets back from college because they just got the dates wrong right there's from the like the very drop of the game you get the concept that may's parents aren't i don't want to say negligent but like there is like an aspect of like absence absenteeism right i think i interpreted a lot of very different i mean i don't think that what you guys are saying are wrong I think it's a valid reading before I start going off on how I read this very differently. Um, so, like, I, I, this isn't, like, a big I disagree thing. Um, but, like, what I kind of took away were all these very heartwarming moments and was and how good the relationship between May and her parents are. That they could, like, just pick up where they left off and have this very sweet and compassionate relationship even after May has done this like really inconsiderate thing to them, which is dropping out of college after they, you know, really stuck their neck out to get her there. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm also not excusing May for not taking accountability for her stuff, right? Like that, that's the other thing is that May's not a great person. Right. Right. (laughs) So like, I, I, you know, I think part of their inability to get her to understand accountability or unwillingness to is, you know, they actively avoid conflict with her, right? So because they don't want to feel that, and I mean, I I don't know. I I have seen situations like this. There this is this is like a very common look to me at small town politeness and like small town appearances where when you live in a place with so few people, there is a certain air of keeping up the outward appearance of what your family is like what, cause the family unit in places like this, it like, you know, probably fairly you know fairly conservative and obviously strong religious values there isn't like a concept where the family unit becomes so important and you don't want to become the ire of the town and we'll you know kind of get to this later where as a failing of a family you are now like a public enemy of everyone in town so i think there is an air of like having to keep up the appearances and now I I don't and that's just, I do think there is a level of you know I I still think that May's parents love her and care about her I don't think it's like and that's why I didn't want to say like you know they're negligent because I don't think they're negligent they're just I think there they are feel aspects like- there are aspects of May and May's life that they don't want to be as involved in. Mm. Or they don't know how to, they don't have the tools to deal with 
how to breach the subjects with her. I think it speaks a lot to the quality of the game that we were able to. And well, I mean, like we were, we all, it seems to me like read into this and related like very personal parts of our own lives and relationships. Like for instance, like with our own parents and where we were in our lives in a certain upbringing, um, kind of into the, into the game, right? It captures really well, a lot of these feelings, you know, in a lot of ways, in a lot of very contradictory ways, even very, very well. That's why, and that's why I think May is such a great protagonist because for all of the inane, batshit, just crazy backwards things that she does, she says there is still a level of like truth in her as a character, even even like the grinding things that she does and she says it's like well i would not say this ever in polite you know conversation even among friends but things she says but you know i think i know how to say this may is just intrusive thoughts personified (laughs) maybe i mean like she, she literally has them yeah, like, yeah. like <laughs> not and not. I don't like. I don't know. That might not necessarily have been what the writers are, were going for specifically. But like when you know when you think about intrusive thoughts, you're like, oh, I would never say that. May is just like that's just the thing I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say that thing I just thought. I think another thing that made me feel pretty bad about playing May is the fact that I related a lot more strongly with Greg. And that he was right there the whole game. And I, you know, a lot of times I would think like, man, I wish I was playing like the Greg game, not the May game, you know? I, well, just... I, think, I, I mean, I think it really, and I, I think that just speaks to how strong the characters are in this game that I think if you were to play any of the core cast, if you were to play May, Greg, B, Germ, Angus to a lesser extent, you would still get like a very interesting and phenomenal game but like so like a, a little bit more pushback on it being the may game isn't it the b game or the greg game kind of i mean you do play as may and a lot of your in other interactions with the world are as may but like you're well, i'm just talking about like the like... <laughs> the lens that you're looking through yeah through the game is mm-hmm. like i wish it could be greg i wish i could have all these like <laughs> intimate immersive moments that you have with may that are really good i wish uh, i could have them as greg because yeah. I personally relate to like Greg is a lot like me in a lot of ways. Just goofy guy. Yeah, he's and like even like doing even, crimes, even down to small things. details. Uh, <laughs> illegally owns weapons. <laughs> That's a joke. That was legally a joke. Stole. Yeah. Uh, stole an animatronic. His stole workplace. stole lots of food lion property. Breaks his company's property. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, he's just like me for real. <laughs> let's talk. So let's. I guess this is a good time to transition. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Greg. Greg, I. He's like one of the best characters in the game. He's he's like, I mean, like not even in the sense that he's like a protagonist and the good guy, and I love seeing him win. But just like he's like really well written, and he embodies a lot of the central struggle of the game really well in the in the sort of um 
I've used the word frictional a lot. I don't want to use it again. In in the sort of like turbulence that happens in between wanting to hold on to the fun childlike wonder of being a young person and then like the responsibility and the mundanity of being like an older person. And he, he, he like he hits the balance so well of like what what that time is like. I'm actually like I'm a little disappointed that I was initially kind of averse to Greg. Cause like I didn't think Greg was what May needed, right? And like so I did the the B route, but I went and watched some of the Greg hangout things, and I think ultimately where Greg ends up is Greg is May, but reacting to the circumstances kind of like a normal person. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like eventually, you learn that like Greg is just like someone who's handling the spot he's in way better than May. But they're in a very similar spot. But yeah, I love him. He's just like this dude who wants to hold on to these like all the good parts of like childhood. I feel I feel that way a lot. He's someone who like very miraculously is romantically involved with this person who seems to be like so much a better person. <laughs> and everyone around him is vexed. And I, I feel very I relate to that a lot. <laughs> Um, Greg, Greg's a, Greg has this really cool, I mean, it's like a, this is a, this is a stereotype. It's done a lot of media where it's, but it's like big goofball who seriously has a lot of inner turmoil. You know, there was a time where my one moment from this game was the scene where you, I don't know if either of you did this, but you go into the woods with Greg, you go to the lake and you take out the crossbow and you like shoot at the decoy deer and Greg just talks about how he struggles with in his relationship with like believing that he's good enough and that he is an adequate fit for Angus. And you know, even even if you go with B, you know, there there's a scene with B where she is like Oh yeah, I think they're definitely gonna break up. Angus is gonna like realize he has better options and just <laughs> leave Greg for sure. That's a hundred percent gonna happen. And so I think, and I don't know, there's, it's just really I, because it, it it's one of those things where it's like this is a stereotype, but they handled it very well because it very easily could have been like corny or cheesy, but like Greg is such a likable. They do such a good job of like painting Greg as a likable character and well written yeah like the way he communicates his feelings just feels very natural to how he's characterized yeah it's never it, it's not like he goes from this like oh you're back oh i love that you're back let's go do band practice and he's like my life is such a struggle <laughs> yeah. everything is so hard all the time it's like all it, it feels very real. It's very funny that I very funny that he's like everything's so hard all the time when he works at a gas station and leaves early all the time and is constantly just like stealing from work and doing fun shit. He's like today I have decided at work that you and I are going to get a bat and smash all the neon lights, the <laughs> new unused neon lights and then I'm going to cut out early. Uh, and he's like and this is so exhausting. Sometimes I'm going to throw a glass bottle at your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, work is so exhausting. Like, Motherfucker, no, it is not. No, he's, he's <laughs> got, let him cook. He's kind of cooking. 
Greg's great. Now they're the other masterfully written character, as good as Greg. B. Yeah. B is also great. For similar reasons and, and some different reasons, but like a lot a lot the same. She really captures that moment in life for you know, some some of us it's been us, some of us it's been someone we know, someone like economically trapped, right? Someone stuck in a hometown, someone who is ambitious and has a lot of potential, but like has been completely starved of opportunities for reasons outside of their control. Someone who definitely takes the things in their life seriously, like fashion and art and learning, um, who just like, like you are so certain will just never get the chance to like fully explore those things. It's like crazy. And uh, just such a forgiving person, too, right? Like, oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, every way, way more than she should be. Oh, yeah, totally. But, like, I mean, I think that's like her thing is like, I think maybe she's gone through what she has with her dad. So, like,. <laughs> Now, see, I don't necessarily agree that she's more forgiving than she should be. I think she's as forgiving as she has to be to be able to maintain some semblance of a regular life because the, all the friends that she's surrounded with are kind of shitheads. And it's like either she forgives them or she has no social life except for the once a month that she's able to sneak out to a college party and, and like live her facade of a normal life. So I think it's like it's kind of her that aspect of her personality is born out of necessity. I think is like, I just have to forgive may and Greg when they're shitheads or else I have no friends. Well, you know, I think that whole scene with Jackie and Bay and may really just, I think it's, it's just interesting to see Jackie who is just like, I don't want to say normal because she's definitely not normal on like a relative scale, but like a more level headed and adult like person, (laughs) just like having to interact with this, with someone who very much has not moved past the more childlike aspects of their life and like how easy it is for them to identify the problems with may and just like call her out on the things that she does and the things that and how she's behaved, you know. Yeah. And I mean, like, also acts exactly how like you expect her to with like what May ends up doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how a rational person would yeah. behave in that situation. <sighs> well, cool. Just quick, a little cool fun fact for y'all. Uh, Jackie was transgender. And very, this was not cool. This was not uh, the they originally wrote her that way, and they just forgot to put they put, forgot any, to like, put dialogue of it. Yeah, and then they added in like a later update that Jackie is in a band called something. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I so. saw that earlier in the game. Actually, I saw that she's in a band. It's called oh, it's like tr- like trans women witch wars or something. Yeah. I forget the yeah, but it's like really I, cool. I saw I didn't click it was the same character because yep. she, you know she so like appears twice. Were, yeah, those scenes are really far apart. But yeah, that's really cool. No, but B is 
The one thing I don't like about B as a character is she has that I'm going to be really prickly and off-putting for the first, like, multiple times you meet me. And so you're, like, you know, average person, you sit them down, you have them do a scene with Greg, you have them do a scene with B, and then you're like, all right, pick one of these two people to hang out with. Are going to pick Greg because he's cool. (laughs) So I think that I think that is the hard part. Even I did that at first. You know, I eventually did some one of one of the scenes of B. I, w- like, I went straight for B. Yeah, I went straight for B. I was like, I got to know like what's yeah. going on here. That and then, was like, also my pull. Yeah, I wanted to know what was going on because because of how weirdly nice she was to May. Like <laughs> for me, it was because um, the first interaction with her, where she's like, "Yeah, I'll give you a ride home." And then you're like, how are your parents doing? And she's like, get the fuck out of the car. I was like, well, I do want to mend this fence because I think May is a pretty fucking terrible person. So I'm going to make this game about mending these fences. Uh, And it worked. Mm -hmm. And it's that whole the whole arc of the B storyline is kind of interesting, right? Because like when you get to the post Jackie scene and they're just kind of like, well, I guess we just ended up together. It, it's, <laughs> it almost doesn't feel like they've actually gotten to where they need to be, but then everything else that happens after that, it feels more like that. I don't know. <laughs> that scene, that scene to me is about just them understanding the nature of their relationship and I think once you understand like the core of what your relationship with the person is, it becomes easier to live and grow with that person. You know, if you don't understand how you're connected to somebody, it gets a lot harder. It gets harder and harder to figure out how to relate, you know, for, you know, for lack of a better term. Just to be clear, you're talking about the doc scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, that scene was about B coming to grips with the fact that people can have it not as bad as her and still have it pretty bad. You know, like the, the, all the worst people you know on the internet are like, God, how's that shit go? That annoying ass. Just because you have it worse doesn't mean I can't have it better, you know, like that shit. Yeah. But like she has to like come to grips with that like, oh, yeah, May can have legitimate reasons for dropping out of college because she's like dealing with a pretty brutal depressive period. Oh, right. Because isn't that where, isn't that scene where she tells B that she literally had a psychotic break when she almost killed that guy? Yes. Yeah. That's they share. They both share that that kind of thing with each other. Be the the college fantasies and May the like. Oh yeah, I've been like basically floating through life, unable to well, she correctly talks, process feelings for years. She talks about well, that that scene. She just talks about her mental struggles from college. the The scene where May talks about the shapes is after they go into after May almost gets shot, and they're on the couch. Laying out on the couch. I mean, it's like, yeah, I just, things are just shapes. I don't really see people as people. But she does go into, like, 
she does go into her sort of depressive her like mental issues on the dock scene yeah she she opens up a little bit like one tenth as much as she needs to yeah and it's like may like being it and it's sorry b being able to understand like oh yeah like i've been holding this thing against may and not even considering that she might have legitimate reasons to have done what she did just because she threw away an opportunity that I would kill for and wouldn't throw away for the world. And, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with being like, if I had that opportunity, I wouldn't throw it away for anything. But, you know, B was getting like her big, you know, character defining moment was being like holding it against May that she had just so happened to have an opportunity that May didn't or that B didn't for you know, really unfortunate circumstances like her mom dying. So let's get into our one moments and then we can open up to the sort of mid and late game and then some of the B plots that happen around town. Okay. So does anyone want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Yeah, my one moment was... The so there's a side plot in this game, and my one moment comes from the side plot. Sorry to be blending our our time slots here. The pastor of the local church, Pastor K, is trying her hardest to get some abandoned buildings rezoned, and having a local homeless man put up in one of them for free. And she's fighting against the Chamber of Commerce slash. Town council. Town council slash historical society. The same, like what seems like the same for people who do all these jobs who are basically being like complete tyrants and think that giving this homeless guy a house is going to, you know, not attract the market and all this nonsense, nimby, terrible stuff. Bruce at one point realizes that the battle is lost before Pastor K has given up hope and tells May in kind of metaphorical and shrouded terms that he plans to commit suicide and that she shouldn't tell Pastor K until the next day. And May doesn't get it right away because May obviously sort of very childlike in a lot of ways. Pastor K learns the next day when Bruce has gone missing and May goes and talks to her. And she just has to sort of sit silently. You leave Pastor K alone with the tent that Bruce used to stay in outside of the church with her coming to the realization that he has thrown himself off the cliff nearby to go, in quotes, you know, be with his family. And that, you know, she is she has lost the battle to get him a home and have a dignified life for him. Pastor K speaks to me a lot. Um, I, I love Pastor K. As a holy shit, <laughs> as a faithful person, you know she she speaks a lot to how she herself like struggles and doubts with her faith in God, how and how faith is only really there to fill in the cracks where you know her understanding of the world can't can't fill in things, and it's just it's like such a heartbreaking. And also such a vastly beautiful scene. Just, you know, all those little conversations with her adding up where she says, like, 
you know, everything with Bruce is kind of in God's hands now. And I only have faith to fill in where my ignorance of the future is. And then having it all kind of fall apart because this town is like terrible and falling apart. It's like, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's like, it's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I love pastor K is a fantastic. I, I, we're going to say this about a lot of characters in this game really well, just really well constructed. You know, I, it's, I think the, it's really smart of this game that you can't even talk to pastor Kate until many, many days into the game. Because for me, I think a lot of this game is the important aspects of this game to me are told through these side stories and through these plot threads that relate to life in a small town in an impoverished area, right? Where like you have a pastor of a church who probably comes from a more progressive city life and has come to a small town to try to like change things and make a difference and isn't used to this kind of pushback against the concept of just helping yeah. people. Who why, need it. why would the members of my congregation and community not want to help people? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that. Hey, what's up? It's Mason, and I'm back for the mid-roll ad. Normally, uh, at this point, I'd do some jokes, but after that last section of the podcast, it feels just a bit inappropriate, so I'm going to be a bit more clinical today, if you'll forgive me of that. I'm just here to remind you that if you're enjoying the podcast, it helps us out so immensely if you rate us five stars on whatever app you happen to be listening on. And then also, please uh, share, like, and comment, and do all those other cool social media engagement metrics. Uh, anywhere that we post or anywhere that you happen to post about us. I'll throw you back to the episode. <sighs> I guess I, I can talk about my one moment. So my favorite character is Selmers. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Selmers. Selmers is great. She's great. Selmers' whole thing is that she writes poetry and Hold so, on, that's not her only thing. That's not her only thing. She's also divorced. She's also divorced. And she spent some time in jail and dealt drugs. You said little. divorced three times. Yeah. So. <laughs> that was the best joke I've ever told on this podcast. I got nothing from you. Fuck you guys. I so, y'all. if you talk to her most days, one of the things she'll do is she'll give you one of her poems. And the first poem she gives you is, my heart is a dankness, but when I see you, I feel a thankness. When I feel a blueness, all I need is a Eunice. Yeah, okay. That's it's just like cute and goofy, quaint. goofy and kind of corny. You know, multiple you know days later, she reads a poem. It's bats and moon against the gloom. The night is black. I made a snack. I microwaved pizza. I'd saved the pizza is cold. Is breakfast gold? That's two of her poems. Good ass and you're poems. like, this is fun. I those like this. Those is are good fun. ass poems. And then you have a scene where you go with B to the library to, to read some microfiche. Microfish. Microfiche. Because you're trying to track down the mystery of ghosts. And as you're leaving, if you've been 
just talking to Selmers enough, you see the Possum Springs Poetry Society is having a meeting and you have the ability to sit in and listen to some poetry. Can we point out the characters that are here? Yeah, so one of the characters is a guy who fishes in a flooded tunnel. That's so good. And all of his poems are about how he thinks the he's fish just, judge him. He's just singing to the fish. <laughs> it's really good. It's really you just funny. You walk up to him, you're always sneaking up on him, and he's like, hmm, tunnel trout. I love you. I want to put you in my mouth. And then you're like, oh, that's a good. You're going to eat these? And he's like, go away. <laughs> he's so funny. And then Summers starts this poem called There's No Reception in Possum Springs. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long. But it's basically this, whereas all of other Summers' other poems have been kind of silly and kind of lighthearted, this is like a slam poetry session where she talks about how trickle-down economics have failed and the ability for younger and younger generations to obtain anything has become basically untenable. And I was like, I remember like sitting through that scene the first time I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. This what is, just this happened? Is not the same Selmers. That was awesome. Yeah, I want more was, of that. That was a great scene. But I, I, the reason that scene works so well is because you don't expect that that's what is about to happen, and I I've never. It's so rare for me that there is one strip of dialogue in a game that I feel so wholeheartedly encapsulates one of the main things that the game is about. And I felt that this, this scene with Somers was like a perfect summation of like small America dying. Right. You know, it, it's the idea that there's all, all the wealth in is being not hoarded. I'm, I'm like, like it's being concentrated. All the wealth is being concentrated in these like big cities, right? Well, yeah. it's not even just all the wealth is being concentrated in the big cities, right? It's also the labor they can do is taken from them. Right. Yeah. You know, the, there's, there's other scenes where like people are like, ah, oh, well, you know, all the jobs are sent overseas and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's a problem. But it goes back to the Selmer's poem where, you know, the reason why this is all happening is because big guy somewhere making more money. So I just, I don't know. There's just something about that scene to me that just in a game that has its moments, but I would say across the board is like fairly silly. The, the moments that are going to hit the most are always going to be the ones where the characters take a step back from that and just are allowed to be real and to me, this this was the one that hit the hardest just because not only was it a very, did I like relate very personally to it, but also it came from a character who I would not have thought had this 
big of a bearing on the overall narrative not narrative but the overall theming of the game <sighs> okay you're gonna have to pick just one yeah it, it's hard to pick a moment because i mean one you two pick like two of the big ones like i really liked the bruce and pastor k storyline like that was very good oh man i will pick the moment that is called for the achievement for it's called like something field where may and her mom go out into the go out to the field into that field and you know at this point may and her mom have had the confrontations that they've had you know may like may's mom feels wronged by her just coming back and not being willing to like be forward with why she's back right which i, I mean is totally reasonable right and, and I think if you give 18 years of your life and refinance your house <laughs> to send someone to college, they at least owe you uh, an explanation why they dropped out. Mm-hmm. May's mom is so good in this game. Yeah. And, you mom know. Mom all the time. Mom all day. Yeah. <laughs> all day and all night. Every day, Twi- mom. All 24-7 time, mom. mom. 24-7 mom. Eels. <laughs> like, that moment where, like, it finally feels like they can connect with each other. And also, she sends her daughter to fall off of a giant tower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, jump on up there. Go ahead. I just, I was really glad that that moment happened because, you know, it's a really easy for games to, kind of not give you a good resolution to that kind of conflict and you know that was at that point i was like okay you know and at that point like some like sad weird stuff had started happening too right so it was like okay at least we've got this going for us you know and also, I'm really sad. I don't know if this would be my moment, but I found out there's a thing you can do. I didn't know you could give your gat dad the tooth. Yeah. I didn't know that either. So to give everybody context, because I thought this was just a super interesting world building thing that we'll never talk about again. This is a real, like, this is, when Buck says really cool world building context he is like way underselling it this is like (laughs) this is the coolest shit in the fucking game i i i read this scene and this is another scene where i was like what the fuck yeah so when you're doing the microfiche thing you can read about what happened to your town and part of what you find out is there was a massacre of a union by the national guard and apparently what happened is so like y'all will have to help me out because i don't think i remember every detail correctly the guys who were responsible for the massacre happening they took their teeth like the union members, so, so they, they so what happened they was they killed their boss. Yeah, there was a bot though. They the union was bargaining with the boss 
the boss hit one of the union members or attacked one of them. So in response, the union held him down and pulled all of his teeth out. And then in response to that, they massacred the union. But the teeth stay, a few of his teeth stayed in circulation and the union members would pass them down from member to member as a, as like a, a sign like that, you know, this is our power. And, and another thing that you read during this is that your grandfather was an important union member. I love how often unions come up in video games and then just like in real life, they just, (laughs) they're just not around. (laughs) Hey, look, there's a reason, there's a reason why most of the video games we play that are heavily union oriented have been indie games. (laughs) And not Uh, AAA titles. But like, I don't know what, do either of you know what happens in this scene? Because I didn't get the chance to give dad the tooth. You, it, it's kind, it's kind of just your dad retelling you more of your family's history. Like he talks, he opens up more about your grandfather. He opens up more about like your family's history in the union, and your dad talks more. Like there's there's that scene in that blog where you talk to your dad, and your dad's just like, "I'm just all I ever wanted for my life was to be able to provide for my family and be a good father and have a good job." And so that's it's it's a little bit of him about reminiscing about idea of being able to have a good stable job even if the job is just like doing hard manual labor you know and i i also just to mention the dad here they did a great job of maybe this is gonna sound too personal i think they did a great job of portraying like a formerly abusive a hard-working and well-meaning, but maybe not, like, the best dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where, like, the time you spend with him is just sitting and watching TV, sitting and, watching TV and yeah. not talking to each other. <laughs> I mean, the, the dad is, is just like a lot of the other characters in that they want to do their best, but they don't have a full understanding of how to do that. It's just that, you know, the dad is fulfilling the dad's role what is expected in a Midwest town in a, in like the eighties and nineties, you know? Um, and just like a lot of the other characters, he's, he's done some terrible things. I like how all of the characters in the game, the major and minor characters have like this, this really good characterization, like some part of them that you can like latch onto and be like, there's like a nugget of like humanity in there with the exception of the town council. <laughs> Fuck those guys. But like you can, you can see like the, the ray of humanity shining through for all of these characters, even though most of them like do some like pretty insensitive and terrible things or even in the minor characters, even though you can see the nugget of humanity, even though that they're not in the spotlight for like most of the game. Shout out to call center lady who gets who ends up just having to work two jobs because she can't get the hours at the uh, the, ham, the ham panther. panther. Yeah, but she couldn't stand continuing to work at the Telezoft <laughs> because the sa- the sounds of the call center were driving her crazy. All right, so next character I want to talk about is Mr. Mr. Chazikov. I knew yeah. it. I want to talk about Mr. Chazikov. He's great. I didn't get to finish and the Dusk thing. Stars. Because I missed the first day because I didn't uh, yeah. understand how to get up there. You have to go across the window. Sam, Sam had to tell me. Yeah. Sam had to tell me. I, I was literally like, you. Mason, there's one. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to drive you in any particular direction in this game, but I do want you to talk to Mr. Chazikov every day. I was like, I can't triple jump on these wires. And he was like, you can jump on the windowsills. I was like, can't see. there's yeah. nothing visually indicating yeah. you can jump on the fucking windowsills. I... The Dusk Stars are like so completely unnecessary to the rest of this game from a like so i follow the art director of this game on twitter and it's very clear that one of his hobbies is stargazing and so my belief and i don't know if it's for sure is that part of the reason this ended up in the game is because he was like hey guys i have this concept i want to you know there's things called dust stars and you know, we can make up constellations in the universe of the game that become relevant to, that connect to characters in the storyline of the game. And also Big Snake. And also Big Snake. Here's a Big Snake. And so I just really like how there is this ethereal thing because, you know you think about all these dream sequences that may has, you think about all this like crazy cult stuff that happens at the end of the game that we're, we'll get to. And it's like, well, there's no one there to like explain anything that's happening. And it's just nice to have this thing where there is a, just a very kind old man who's just there to explain this very far off in con- otherwise incomprehensible concepts to you and i just really like that and i really love like all of the the constellations that they put together and all the like little stories that they tell and how they start off with these like big grandiose epic tales and then it's like uh, this guy discovered fire that's cool so again I took something very different away from Mr. Chazikov. Again, I don't think your reading is it's like Buck with the Parents. I don't think that's an invalid reading or anything. But like I thought the stargazing in Mr. Chazikov was about him showing you like this connection to the past and like showing you this thing that like everyone you know, despite this myriad of experiences and these like changing times and this like chaos and confusion as to where your life has been and going, everyone throughout all of time has slept under the same stars for so long that we have like legends that we've lost and we don't even know the moral of the story or the ending of some of them that because the, you know, the stars have been like humanity has been persistent for so long that we have these constellations that are so ancient that we don't even know the ending of the story. Right. It's like, to me, considering the theme of the game, it was about like this assuredness that life will go on and like things will work themselves out, especially given some lines in the later series of those dust star searches where Mr. Chazikov is like, well, you know, right now you're kind of unable to see the beauty of a little town like Possum Springs, but you got to trust me that it's there, you know? So I guess we should probably talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 ass ending. 
Yeah, let's 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 before we get to that, let's there's I think there's two more things we need to talk about. So first thing, let's talk about because they kind of tie together. Let's talk about May's dreams. Oh dream yeah, yeah, yes. So on some nights, not every night, but on some nights, you do this dream sequence where May finds herself in a dreamscape, and you have to go around finding these four musicians activate them and then return to where you started and then normally there's going to be some astral animal that shows up and does something usually kills may in the dream presumably usually the well part of the imagery of the dreams i think is like the history of the town right interesting okay at least I think it is. That's a reading. That's a way you can interpret it. Like what it seems like to me is what it felt like to me is each dream, you know, got bigger, right? And with each dream getting bigger, you saw different kinds of imagery in the things. Like I felt like, you know, the trains coming was like a actual allegory for like the trains and like i think i'm trying to remember exact details of the dreams it's hard to remember exact things in this game especially for the dream sequences because i found them a little annoying thank you (laughs) thank you see buck you and i are like the same person we share a brain they i just I, Did I not say the same shit? <laughs> Did I not say that same thing to you yeah. when I was doing the train one? It it felt kind of like you were running around the town in part of like May's personality and also like seeing like I if I'm remembering right, I feel like there was kind of like a flooded feel to one of the dreams. And then you had the trains and then you had like the woods. You had like the floating sky one too. Yeah. Although I don't really know what the floating sky one would be in that. I like the dream sequences just because the music slaps. Oh yeah, it does. The music's really good. The music's what makes it bearable that I have to walk back and forth (laughs) fifteen times to figure out where the last goes all the way to the bottom of the shit and it's like all the way to the top. The game the game does direct you. A little bit. Yeah, you get the little, the little glowing, pink, the little glow at the edge the of the red screen. dots. Yeah, yeah those a, are helpful. It's I just couldn't that tell big. if that was trying to guide me or not. It is. It yeah, is. they are. <laughs> I th- those were helpful. It's just that the levels are big and yeah. May is very slow. So what I thought those were trying to symbolize was I thought May was dreaming about her fears that number one, the town was changing rapidly without her, and that two. It was like grappling with mortality because like the things that I was seeing and what I was thinking about is like, what does a train do? It like, it just moves on relentlessly. And then like, what does a flood do? It's this like unstoppable force of nature. And then like the town floating into the sky is like it moving up and away without May. And then at the end of all the dreams, she dies to this big monster attack. So that's, that's what I was thinking, right? I thought it was like symbolizing because that that's what I thought the game was about is like this like this like melancholy of the town changing right cuz you know like the pizza place shuts down and like now Greg has a job and like so that's what I thought it was I like I like the thought that it could be 
the history though. Yeah. I like I, the thought that it could be the history because there's think the train station and the fucking flooding. I think it's the potential of whatever cathodic being that lives under the town uh, <laughs> trying to communicate with you. I, I think there's one. Of the, I think both of you are fair, but I think there's one point that we're missing in this, and that is that in every dream, it's always the musicians that are there. Yeah. Because the mu- music is one of the only stable things that May has in her life. The, yeah. The band practices. The band practices and the be- the ability to play bass, even though it seems like she pushes back on her ability to do it a little bit. Like clearly, it is a talent of hers, and it is a that is something that will always be there. Well, her. she's only ever as talented as you are at playing rhythm games, right? She could suck yeah. shit at playing bass. Yeah. <laughs> Why is there a trophy for do like not hitting a single note in all the songs throughout the game? I don't know. I don't I know that was a trophy. Why? It is a trophy, and I don't understand why. It, it's probably called, like, apathy. <laughs> Complete apathy or something. I really like the songs. I really like the song vignettes. I like how they're yeah. animated. And stuff. I, I, I like, like the songs. I don't think they designed the note charts very well. Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> not. It's not a good rhythm game, but it's not a rhythm game. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the ending. Let's Metal talk about the, solid two the, the ending sequence where... You go into the woods and then you get shot and you find a cult and you find a big hole and inside the hole there is a <laughs> god? What question so, mark? So why don't we start with on uh Do we want to talk about furry Halloween? <laughs> oh <laughs> I thought you were gonna I thought you wanted to so talk sad. about the night where made dreams about God. <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost on, my shit. On Harfest, May sees a random child get abducted, which causes her obsession with figuring out what the ghost is. You go and see and figure out what the ghost is. You go out into, you you pick, you can do two out of three hanging out sessions, which I highly recommend hanging out with Angus because that's the time that you get to. That is the only time you get to hang out with Angus. Yeah. And you see the hash slinging slasher walking around <laughs> the 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 same person you thought you saw on Harfest, and then eventually y'all just go out into the woods to look for them because you think you know where they are. I can't remember what triggers the you're chasing them, and you end up stumbling upon them, and you hear that the arm that you found at the beginning of the game was from apparently a body they chopped up. (laughs) And they threw it into a hole Mm -hmm. in the ground. Yeah. (laughs) May fucks up. Yeah. (laughs) As she does. (laughs) And you run away. May almost gets shot. This whole sequence is really confusing, right? Yeah, there's a lot that's like, well, did this happen? or May's in the hospital. May's in the church. May is back home. Is she dead or did she go into a coma or like, I think a lot of it is meant to, is, there's like a, a little bit of this thing going on where it's like, oh, I want May to have an epiphany that the town is going to go away anyway. So I need something to happen. You know, I, I feel I got like that kind of vibe out of some of this. My, my take I don't was- think it was like egregious. My my take was that it's like May's brain trying to make sense of the things that would happen to her if this were something that happened to her, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Like if she were to be grievously injured, this is the things that her brain would expect to happen. Her parents and the town would gather around her in a church and mourn over her, except her dick neighbor. You know, yeah, fuck her parents guy. would take her to a hospital to heal her. You know, eventually she would end up back home to rest. Like that, that's kind of how I interpreted. Like it was her brain coming to terms with the concept of potentially dying and what would happen. I thought it was showing a bunch of contiguous, like canon actually did happen events just a little clumsily. Like May gets found, the people of the town realize she's injured and her parents go, her mom working at the church takes her and they pray. They have like a prayer and then they take her to the hospital because she's not like bleeding out or anything. I think the linchpin for me as to, and I'm not saying that's not a valid reality. I think the linchpin for me that makes me feel like it's, it's not reality is the janitor showing up at the hospital. Yeah. And he's like old and gray. It was just like, it's just like, doesn't make any sense for that person that for the janitor to be there. The janitor character is very interesting and obviously personifies a concept of faith and religion himself and blah, blah, blah. He could definitely be Jesus. I don't want to get too deep into that. Cause that's like a very, I think that's a very service level reading of him, but you know, I think it's really interesting. I don't know. I love how trippy, the last like section of the game is because they're not afraid to just n- not be this grounded reality that most of the game has been this very like character driven grounded society like society based drama i also love how the just the friends are characterized during this like the whole just them trying to figure things out in Greg and Angus's apartment. You know, I I really liked the whole I the, the whole scene where they're trying to figure things out and then oh there's someone at the door and then it cuts to May who like deliriously just walks from home to the home to yeah. the apartment which is a very long walk. And, you know, it turns out to be her instead of the weird, scary secret society people that they saw. You know, I I like how competent they all end up being, <laughs> you know. Man, it's a really well-written scene. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't feel like it's very valuable to keep saying well-written. Yeah, we got like, to talk about this cult, y'all. We do. It's... Very good. <laughs> okay, I want. I'll, so here's here's the main thing I want to talk about. Is there a reading you have for this, other than the surface level? Like, because when I played this originally, I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it. The cult is like, you know, divisive politics, where there's going to always be a group that essentially ends up being a death cult who's willing to throw away the lives of people." to bolster the economic situation that they find themselves in that that was like my read on it and i have not like obviously in the context of the game there there is a more i think that it, it is played a little more literally that this is literally a cult and there is literally some entity deep 
in this hole. But, you know, I from outside looking at I, I just want to know if you guys had a different read on it so than me. Because that was what I took away from it. I do have a different read on it. Did you notice anything about the prologue? Yeah, the poem about your the grandfather? Well, they were the where your grandfather says they were afraid of they were afraid of something so they ate the young. Well, there's so the big thing about the prologue that I noticed not prologue, sorry, epilogue. Oh the epilogue. epilogue. Did you notice anything in, interesting in the epilogue? There's one guy missing from the town. Yeah. The, yeah. Only one and it's not anyone you care about. Yeah, yeah. it's just the Smelter's, Smelter's fan. fan. I think part of it is like you have these people who say they care so much about the community. And then when they're all supposedly dead and gone, you don't even notice that they're dead and gone. Yeah. I, okay, that's it, interesting. It, it's. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, th- th- I don't think these things are necessarily dissociated either, right? People that are going to be more in touch and in line with their community aren't going to like give in to the fervor of fanaticism. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it's like the thing that I took away from it was like the, the takeaway that I had there was like, yeah, these people are threatening and potentially, you know, it, it's so funny that you just end up accidentally killing like a dozen people, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> which, a lot of weird phone calls this morning. Not <laughs> well, I, you know, they hold partial responsibility because they're, they're a death cult. They're a well, death cult. They're hanging out in the mine. It's not just that they're a death cult, right? It's also like, what is even triggering this to be a part of what they think will help the town, right? Like, what is the point of killing someone like Casey who was just trying to leave? Which, I mean, we didn't <laughs> mention that. Well, it's not that he's trying to leave. It's that he's no good piece of garbage person who will never amount to anything so we will feed people him to just, our god people just think he was trying to leave but he wasn't he wasn't trying to leave he got kidnapped uh, well right he got kidnapped god but ah man it's just so such a weird way to look at other people right yeah it, it, it's <laughs> but they were they're so afraid of ghosts that they ate their young right it's like the poem your grandfather told you so i've got to fight this is gonna I need y'all to promise me that y'all are gonna stop me if this sounds too game um, theory. We'll go. We'll go with you. Stop. You, you're going full Matt Pat. Right yeah, now? I just maybe. I just like <laughs> when I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, I think this fits with the theming of the game, but it's it sounds a little game theory ish. So stop me if it if it gets too unbearable. All right. So my big theory. I think the God in the pit that the miners worship is not real. I think there's nothing down there. I think it's like some kind of shared delusion or esoteric religion that they all share. And I think it's meant to illustrate the sort of logical conclusion of these character traits that may is trying to move past. I think, I think this for two main reasons. Number one, the god that they describe, right, is the the black goat. That is a specific. That is a HP. That's a Lovecraftian 
thing. It's Shub Nigurath. It's a real, it's like, it's literally like one for one, the thing that H.P. Lovecraft wrote. So I think they chose that for a reason. I think they didn't make up their own little crazy eldritch horror. I think they chose one specifically because to illustrate that it's it's fiction. It's fictive. I also think it's fiction because at the beginning of the game, your grandpa like literally tells you like it's a ghost story. It's like one of his little spooky stories. Um, I think it's there. I think those scenes were like, to me, about like, you know, in, in a lot of ways, this game is about people who hold on to the past and it ends up damaging them. And the cult we see is this like weird underground group of fringe right wing weirdos. And around the time that this game came out was sort of 17. Yeah. So you had a lot of these groups of fringe right wing internet weirdos grasping onto these like weird esoteric religions. Right. And like in an attempt to recapture the, these good parts of the past. And that's exactly what the cult's doing too. And it's like the logical conclusion of may right of these bad parts of may these parts of may that she has to grow past and learn to let go of right you know because she's like antisocial and she's on the internet a lot and she but you know has these metaphysical beliefs right she's she's like in some ways like she is open to the idea of god and she comes from this like midwest small town and it's like the danger of not maturing and not letting go of these thoughts of the past and i don't think it's like a fully cohesive reading because obviously there's like the teleporting serial killer and the you know like oh the goat sings to you and she's literally like dreaming about music but like i think i think the elements of that are there I think it's to me, it was supposed to be read as like, yeah, these are just maniacs that are killing people for no reason down in a mine to recapture something that they'll never get back. Mm -hmm. That's what it was to me. Yeah. And that's mainly how I read them too is like, you know, they have nothing else that they think they can do. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they're not, corporate big wigs they don't trust politicians yeah. yeah they they simply the thing they can do is worship an eldritch god and kill people they view as undesirable yeah <laughs> just like in real life people people who people who don't share people who don't share their values it's not even just don't share their values it's act exactly how they want them to act right it's yeah. <laughs> Well, I think I I mean those things aren't mutually exclusive. I grew up around some of these people. They would describe that as not sharing their values. Yeah. <laughs> I think you probably have met some of these people before too, right? Like so I like I said, the it has some holes. I don't think it's meant to be like a game theory like it this cracks the code type thing, but that is it's certainly how I interpreted it. Anything else you guys want to talk about for this game? I really like the choice to let you control May's hands. Instead of yeah, just like hitting spacebar and picking up a thing, grabby hands. Yeah, just like you have to like open a window. You have to like it. It really, 
<laughs> like the the two times that I thought like okay this is like really good is the time where you she's steal. like burglaring yeah. she's burgl she's doing burglary and her like hands are shaking is like yeah she loves doing crime I, that much is clear she talks about how much she loves it and she's very excited to do it all the time but it also makes her very anxious it's like that's like a great characterizing yeah. moment for for May. I like the teens. The teens are funny. The teens are, the teens really, are really funny. <laughs> May, this strange woman just walks up as like, you guys need to roll around in numbers. And they're like, do, we, do we know you, lady? I love the teens in the graveyard. They're just like, the graveyard. Tell, us, tell us your most embarrassing moments. Have you ever done it? <laughs> what did it feel like? <laughs> it's so good. The graveyard teens are good. Man, for I mean, if we're talking about how this game's about, you know, maturity, teens do a really good job of just being stupid pieces of shit the <laughs> yeah. whole time. Except yeah. for Lori. Except for Lori. Lori's great. All right. Well, I think that brings us to an end of Night in the Woods. Uh, thank you guys for playing this game with me. You can find this game pretty much on Steam. And I do want to give a big shout out to the glory society who kind of was the group that developed out of night in the woods, you know, just found out recently that they're having to cancel development on the next game, which was going to be Revenant Hill. So hope that, uh, all the members of their team who are having health issues have good recoveries, swift recoveries, and, you know, maybe they are able to work on a different project someday. Hey, special thank you to all of them. I know this game meant a lot to a lot of people, and it was really special, and I'm glad that they got to work together to make it. Yeah, thank you for making this game. It's really good. Next episode, we are going to be talking about Katana Zero. Very, just a way 180. Different. Just a way- 180 thematically. Yeah. So... If you want to play that, you can pick it up on probably, I think, most major platforms. But uh, we will see you all next time.